Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, The Invisible War, today. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter, Jude, and 1 Timothy as Dr. Newfeld presents us a message entitled Understanding Demons. I want to walk a tightrope. I want no one listening to my voice to become fascinated with demons. At the same time, we do want to be conversant with Satan's strategy. So I'm reading 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. That is to say, Paul thinks it's important that we seek to forgive those that the Corinthians have forgiven. And furthermore, he wants to model forgiveness for the Corinthians. He says it's important, for he knows Satan's strategy. He knows how Satan is at work in creating divisions among believers, encouraging Christians to to hold on to the hurts of the past and to remember their grievances. And that will blunt the gospel, and Satan seeks to encourage that activity. But, says Paul, I know his strategy. And it is for that reason that we need to be wise to both the reality of demons as well as the strategies that they employ. But this is equally crucial. We should seek to be no wiser than that which is revealed in Scripture. Listen to Jesus' own commendation of the faithful remnant in the church of Thyatira. See, Revelation 2 verse 24 says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. That is, some in Thyatira are given to both idolatry and sexual immorality. That's Satan's work. But some of you, the faithful ones, you've stayed away from a fascination with Satan's secrets. So it seems to me there are two extremes. One is to be ignorant of Satan and demons, and the other is to become so fascinated that we enter ever more deeply into the demonic. So to that end, understanding two equally destructive extremes we begin a study of understanding the world of demons. We know that demons are fallen angels, but how did they fall and under what conditions did they rebel against God? And interestingly enough, the Bible gives us very little information here. Too much of what many of us assume to be true is the result of theories that we have heard and not about what the Bible actually teaches. The Bible teaches precious little about the fall of some of the angels. And so let's examine what the Bible actually says about the fall of angels. Essentially, we have only three texts on this matter in the entirety of Scripture. And we're going to examine all three of them in some detail. The first is found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Well, several things should be analyzed here. First, there were angels who sinned. So what is Peter referring to? When did that happen? Well, it might surprise some of my listeners to know that there are some Bible teachers who argue that it refers to Genesis chapter 6. That is, there are some Bible teachers who believe that Peter is not speaking here about the original fall into sin, but he's speaking about a time after the creation of man and after the fall of man, but before the time of the universal flood. 
See, some teachers think that Peter is speaking about Genesis chapter 6. And the reason they think that is because this text, and a very similar one in the book of Jude, seems to refer to a Jewish writing called the book of First Enoch. First Enoch is not a biblical book, but it does reflect the thinking of some Jewish teachers in around 300 BC. Let me explain this. In Genesis 6 verse 2 we read, The sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, the Jewish writers of the book of Enoch, commenting on Genesis 6, verse 2, argue that this refers to demons having sex with women. And so, since this is what the book of Enoch mentions, many Bible teachers argue that Peter, when he writes about the sin of angels, is referring to this sin, that is, having sex with women, and then producing a race of very powerful people, half human and half demons, who had to be destroyed during the flood. But there are numerous problems with that kind of an interpretation. First, and the most obvious problem, is that Jesus taught us that angelic beings don't marry and they're not given in marriage. They are, as we have seen, spirit, not composed of flesh. Therefore, they're sexless, and I would argue, are quite incapable of producing offspring with women. This in spite of all the horror movies that you've seen to the contrary. There are no people who are half human, half demons. That's the stuff of movies has nothing to do with a Bible. The second problem with that interpretation is that the text doesn't say the sons of God had sex with the daughters of men. Rather, it says the sons of God married the daughters of men. So we've got to imagine a real marriage ceremony that resulted in the sons of God and the daughters of men settling down and living together and eventually raising a family. It seems highly unlikely to imagine a race of demons living with human beings for a lifetime. Again, it sounds like fantasy and not biblical teaching. And the third problem with that interpretation is simply this. It doesn't fit the flow of the Genesis text. The early chapters of Genesis contrast two different pathways taken by the human race. There were those like Cain and Lamech and others who were determined to live a life of rebellion to God. They're called the rebellious seed. And on the other hand, Genesis depicts the remnant of a godly seed who follow the example of a man named Seth. After Seth, says Genesis, men began to call on the name of the living God. And so Genesis is the story of the majority of the human race that rejected God and then a godly seed following out the teaching of Seth who led the way to faith and obedience in the Creator. And then we see Genesis being played out as we see that the rebellious race begins to persecute the godly seed. And in Genesis 6 verse 2, it seems to be saying that in order to protect themselves, the sons of God, that is the godly seed of the faithful, they begin to enter into marriage with the children of the ungodly or the daughters of men. So why do they do that? Well, most likely the godly seed wanted to form political alliances to protect themselves. And according to Genesis, this intermarriage leads to the end of the godly seed so that we finally come to the time of Noah in which all the godly are reduced to only one family. That's how Genesis reads. The book says nothing about sex between demons and humans. The drama is about whether the world will continue to have people of God in it or will they be eclipsed. Yeah, it is true that in 300 BC, a group of Jewish 
Bible teachers believe that Genesis 6 dealt with the marriage of demons and people, but they were wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. So let's get back to 2 Peter. Peter speaks about angels sinning, but he's not referring to Genesis 6. And so what is Peter referring to? Well, he's most likely referring to the original sin of the angels, in which they lost their position of splendor and were cast from heaven to another place. And I'll come to that in a moment. But please notice that Peter doesn't say what led to that sin. He doesn't say it was the pride of Satan who wanted to be God. Well, Peter doesn't tell us what the sin was. We know in terms of Adam and Eve what their sin was, but here, in terms of Satan, there's no explanation at all only that he sinned. And here's what I think. God has chosen out of his infinite wisdom not to reveal to us what is the sin of those angels. In effect, I hear God saying, it's none of your business. Uh, That there was a rebellion among the angels is plain. What it was, it's not known. We've come to the second aspect now of 2 Peter 2 verse 4. And our translation says that in consequence of that sin, God did not spare them or God did not have mercy on them, but cast them into hell. Now, that might sound surprising to a great many of us. We know that in the age to come, when Christ returns, he then casts Satan and the demons into hell. But here, it seems to say that they were cast into hell when they rebelled. So how are we to understand that? I mean, after all, as we continue to say more about spiritual warfare, well, it seems quite clear that demons are not now bound in hell. You know, on that note, you might remember that when Jesus cast the legion of demons into the pigs, Matthew 8, verse 29 says, And behold, they, that is the demons, cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Look, these demons know that it is at the end of the age that the Son of Man will throw them into hell and torment them night and day forever. And so we've got to assume that they also understood that they were now not in the end of the age. And so here is the Son of God. What has he come to do? They're confused. But that leads us back to 2 Peter. How can Peter say that after the angels sinned, they were cast into hell? Well, clearly, there must be something that we're missing. So come back and I'll explain that. On November 14th, Dr. Neufeld will begin a new series that you won't want to miss, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion. It's a 20-message series on Matthew 21 to 25. There's a lot to unpack in these five chapters, and Dr. John's biblical expertise will shed light on these passages to help you understand them in a new and deeper way. This series begins with an overview of the qualities that are unique about the Gospel of Matthew and continues with a deep dive into the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life where he will fulfill the mission he'd been sent by the Father to accomplish. So mark your calendars for November 14th and check out this series on your local radio station, your preferred podcast platform, or at backtothebible.ca. And for more information, just call us at one 800 663 I think our translation of 2 Peter 2.4, which says that the sinning angels were cast into hell, is actually an unfortunate translation. The Greek word Gehenna is rightly translated as hell. 
But in 2 Peter 2 verse 4, Peter doesn't use the word Gehenna. He doesn't say the angels were cast into Gehenna. Instead, he uses a verbal participle, tartarosis. You know, some of you who have read ancient Greek literature might be familiar with the word tartus. Tartus always refers to the underworld. And so for that reason, I think a proper translation of 2 Peter 2 verse 4 should read, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into the underworld and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. See, that means that the angels were taken from the glory of heavenly dwellings to a dwelling that is the place of the underworld, the places of gloom and darkness. These angels still await their final condemnation in which they will be cast into the lake of endless burning. So think of it this way. You know, earlier in this series, I mentioned Jacob's ladder. Jacob sees a staircase with angels descending and ascending on the staircase. Angels are coming from God's dwelling place to the earth, and they're carrying out his assignments. And when they're done, they ascend the staircase, and they go back to the throne room of God to to report on their activities. But where do the demons go? Well, the answer is they don't go to heaven, their dwelling place. They are rightly in the underworld. Access to the holy place in a great many instances is blocked. Now, those of you who are biblically astute might remember Job 1 verse 6. And that passage says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So in Job, Satan does have access to heaven. And I would argue that the rest of the demons also have a limited access there. And furthermore, and this is getting ahead of myself, but I will say that with the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross, Satan has lost his access to heaven for his accusation of us before the throne of God is now silenced. The blood of Christ is now our defense and Satan has lost all legal ground for accusing the redeemed children of God. But again, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Back to 2 Peter 2 verse 4. The angels sin. They're now assigned to a new headquarters, and it is in the land of the underworld. Now then, Peter adds a third item. First, remember, they sinned and God would not have mercy on them. And second, they were removed from heaven, given the underworld. So now third, they are committed to chains of gloomy darkness. Now, by calling the chains chains of gloomy darkness, so we should easily be able to see That's not meant to be taken literally, literal chains. It's a metaphor. Peter is saying that in some way, God has restrained them, that God has limited their sphere of operations. They're hobbled, if you will, by the decree of God. Their chains are chains of darkness, limiting their power in some fashion. Peter doesn't explain to us how. And we also know that in the end, when the demons are cast into hell, the chains then will bind them to hell for all eternity. And so from 2 Peter 2 verse 4, we have the explanation of how it came to be that there are dark angels, dark gods in this world. And from my understanding, these dark angels are the explanation for all the polytheisms that are in this world. You might want to listen to Deuteronomy 32 verse 17. It says of the nations around Israel who were idolatrous and who had idolatrous gods, it says they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. 
That's also what Leviticus 17, verse 7 commands of Israel. It says, so they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And so rightly understood, the, the many idols that are in this world are indeed either demonic beings or at the very least, they're inspired by demonic beings. I hope you see I'm having a great deal of difficulty trying to limit my study to three passages, but I have only thus far looked at one, 2 Peter 2 verse 4. It is time now to move to the second, and that's in Jude verse 6. That passage says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So at the very outset, we do notice how similar that passage is to the one in 2 Peter. And, and getting back to the subject of when these angels rebelled, you know, many a Bible teacher has noted that Jude in verse 6 is very similar to a verse that's also found in 1 Enoch. You know, furthermore, if one goes to Jude verse 14, Jude even mentions Enoch by name. And there he quotes from that book indicating that the Lord will come with ten thousands of his holy ones, meaning the angels. And then at that time, he will execute judgment on all ungodly human beings and ungodly angels. So just a word of explanation. Jude can quote from the book of First Enoch where it's true. That doesn't mean that he endorses the entire book. He offered an explanation. I often quote C.S. Lewis. I, I love his writings, even while on a few key points, I know he has made grave mistakes. You know, for instance, in Lewis' book, The Last Battle, he seems to indicate that people can get to heaven without believing in Christ. Lewis is wrong. In his book on miracles, I think Lewis' explanation of a miracle is based on philosophical reasoning and not on the biblical material. And again, I think Lewis made significant mistakes in that book. But that doesn't lessen the value of what he's written. When he's right about something, I'm happy to quote him. And Jude does the same with First Enoch. He knows that the book of First Enoch was right in announcing the final judgment, even while it was wrong about that thing about, you know, demons having sex with women and producing offspring. You see, you can quote something without endorsing everything that was written. But back to what Jude says about the fall of angels. You remember that Peter said absolutely nothing about the reason for the sin of the angels, only that they sinned. But Jude adds something. He says that some angels did not stay within their own position of authority. That is, God had assigned to each angel a position of authority. Think of it this way. A commanding officer designates assignments to the men under his command. If a soldier defies his commander's orders and seeks out his own course, that soldier is mutinous. That's what some of the angels did, said Jude. They were dissatisfied with their status and the position that had been assigned to them. And, and by the way, we too can fall into that sin. When we murmur against God's plan for our lives, be wary. You adopt the wisdom of demons. Well, that leads us to the last passage that speaks about the fall of angels, and it comes from 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. And surprisingly, that passage speaks about the qualifications that must be found in an elder or a pastor. So verse 6 says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Just one little line. 
Don't become puffed up with your own importance. Why not? Well, that's how the devil incurred condemnation. He apparently became puffed up. It's called pride. Now, look, I know some of you are wondering why I haven't quoted from Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. And you might remember that passage speaks about the one who has fallen, the, the day star, the son of the dawn, who said, I will ascend to heaven and make my throne like the throne of the most high God. Look, that passage is describing the king of Babylon, who was a real historical figure. I know that some Bible teachers assume that the king of Babylon received his attitude, that is, he learned it from Satan. Now, Isaiah doesn't say that, and even though it might be true, we should not read a meaning into the passage which is not indicated by the text. I think we do well not to go beyond what is written, that we content ourselves to the intended meaning of any text not adding new meaning to it. But what about demons? Well, they were at one time among the angelic band. They rebelled. They refused to accept their position of authority. They were puffed up with pride. We know they lost their heavenly abode, and now their headquarters is in the underworld. We also know that they are involved in a massive war against God. This battlefield, as we're going to see tomorrow, centers on the human race. The children of Adam are the target of a massive rebellion against God. You know, I find this interesting, John, because sometimes I think we get hung up on stuff. We get hung up on stuff like, where did the demons come from? But in essence, what you're saying is, at some point, God is saying, well, really, you know, that's not information you need. Yeah, you know, and and as frustrating that may be to some, I think there's good reason for it. It is such a mistake, Ben, and I think we've all met people who become so demon-focused. I, I met a man years ago, Ben, who, who said, I can name all of the demons in our area, and he started stringing off these list of names. I didn't know what to do with that information. I have been at times in places where, you know, um, demons have been cast out of people, and other people say, well, I saw things, and I never saw a thing, and I'm, I'm just as happy to remain blissfully ignorant except in those things where the Bible teaches me what to do and what to know. And uh, perhaps that's a good lesson for all of us. Content yourself in what the Bible teaches and don't run off the rails in some kind of fascination. Yeah, thanks so much, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our series, The Invisible War, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Every year, Back to the Bible works hard to bring you resources that engage your thoughts in the Bible. This month, we've created a very special book that we think will become part of a Christmas tradition for many families. It's our Laugh Again 12 Days of Christmas Stories, 12 of Phil Calloway's favorite Christmas stories, 12 readings from the Bible of the actual Christmas story, all designed to prepare our hearts for the occasion of Jesus' arrival. Use for your personal devotions, around the dinner table, or at night with the kids, perhaps before they go to bed. 12 Days of Christmas Stories is a full-color, fun, and thoughtful book that will engage both young and old in the real meaning of Christmas. So request your free copy during the month of November in preparation for the Christmas season 
as our Christmas gift to you. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.